This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. What happens if not only a secret life is exposed, but what if it's also forced upon you? Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm with my guest, Michelle. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. So what had led you to Crime Over Cocktails? Hmm. Well, I mean, what a fabulous title that is, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) And then then I read about what you were doing here, and I thought, what a great uh, platform that I could be on on your show to really open up people's eyes about what kind of crime over cocktails can actually happen because there are quite a few. And unfortunately, I was a victim of that and not loving that word, but um, I did experience some crime over cocktails. So I was, or what I thought, happily married for about 17 years. And then what happened was um, I experienced a tragedy of somebody very close to me had passed. And I came home to my ex-husband now, and I said, I really want to live life to its fullest. And I want to live it really for myself and for this person that I lost, because she always lived that way. And, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I didn't know that I was giving um, an entrance to somebody who wanted to take me into the lands of Alice in Wonderland and into a dark tunnel and that he was already living in, but I had no idea about it. And what that entailed was lots of cocktails, drugs, alcohol, sexual deviance, and the sex trafficking of myself. And this is someone who I had devoted my life to. We made promises to our parents. Um, We had two children at the time, special needs children, who I took care of. You know, I was very active in the schools and the community, all of that. And I didn't know what was going on outside of my home. So when when I told him that, I didn't know that I was giving um, not only validation, but permission to have me join his world, so to speak. And it was quite frightening. And it lasted for six years until I, it was a very long time until I literally went from the floor to the door and I got out. And that was only a few years ago. So I'm still processing it all and going through it. But I realized that I'm one of the lucky ones. And, um, you know, we have to be really aware of what goes on around us. So all of this happened though, before really the internet and cell phones. Well, we met before then. And, um, when the thing, when things started happening, there was no social media, really, there was no TikTok for sure. There, there, there wasn't as much awareness and, you know, I was groomed for it. You know, these are all, let's say keywords that, that we all know of now that you see, 
um, their hashtags, whatever it is. And I'm really happy about that because as we'd stated before, all of this, it's, it's a long time coming. Like it needed to happen. Those of us that have gone through hell and back again, we have a story to tell and we have warnings for the younger generations and we were now able to do it. And, um, I thank you for that also. I thank you for having me here doing this. Of course it is. It's so important because so many people think that they're alone. They're the only ones that are going through it. Mm-hmm. And that right. couldn't be further right. from the truth. It is, right. And it, it really is very isolating. I mean, listen, I live in a community that, you know, I don't look like the face of someone who's been sex trafficked or even abuse. I didn't have bruises on me. I had them on my body, but you couldn't see them. I have you know, parts of me on the inside that are, that are broken, not bones necessarily, but, you know, things that I've had improved are no longer, you know, good. I've got, um, some things running through my body because of it in the form of silicone. Um, and you know, it it was very different. And when you have someone who's really smart about what they're doing and very, um, just, uh, strategic, there's a way to get away with it. There really is. And, but the most important thing that I didn't realize was all the years leading up to what happened, I I really was being groomed for it. And I was made to be very dependent on him and in every sense, financially, especially emotionally, physically, uh, you know, all of that. And so when people say, well, why didn't you leave? I didn't know there was an option. My family was alienated from me or vice versa. The friends that I had that were in the community, that were in the schools, you know, my mom friends, I didn't tell anyone anything. Um, I protected him and what was going on because I was told to. And I was shamed and guilted even within our own bedroom. It was a really scary time because things were happening everywhere. And on the flip side of it, I was still the mom. So it was a double life I was living at the time. How did he go from, I want to live life to the Mm -hmm. fullest, to Mm -hmm. I'm going to pimp you out? (laughs) Um, That's a really great question. You're so funny. You laugh at it. Um, And really, I need to because, um, you know, I've been in really intense therapy even today. And it's like, it's so overwhelming for me to talk about and for people to listen to. The thing about it is he was doing stuff I didn't know about. But, and, and like I said, when I said that to him, it validated for him in his own head what he had been doing. So, you know, here's a guy that went away for business and was getting massages, quote unquote, in his room. I mean, were they? We don't know if they were why in your room at 10 o'clock at night? Or there are plenty of websites where you could get someone else who's not your spouse to do things for you or with you. Well, now he's got me, so he doesn't have to pay for it necessarily. And it's, you know, I'm going to watch this on a website. I'm going to have this fantasy, but now I'm going to try and make it my reality. And it escalated. And, you know, it wasn't something that I wanted. It wasn't like, oh, let's do this. This will be fun. It was an assumption and it was, it was, he just took advantage completely. And, you know, I so badly wanted to please him because he was my husband and I loved him and I could feel the attention switching 
you know, he was starting to take better care of himself and, and I could see that he was getting the attention that he needed outside of the home. And so, you know, my question at the time was, well, what do I have to do to keep my husband's attention on me? And that meant I changed my look a little bit. I dressed a little sexier. You know, I live in an area where people do it anyway. And then there were groups of people that we were friends with. And it was a must. Like there was no option except to look a certain way. Otherwise you couldn't, you weren't allowed in the door. And, you know, there were drugs everywhere. Um, and they were mostly by, you know, this one person. And he, he had that in his left pocket and me in his right pocket. And so I didn't know that. But every time we went out, I didn't know that I was an option. You know, it's, it's really scary because when someone does something like that, they start off very small. Let's go out for a date night, honey. Okay. Let's go for dinner and drinks. Okay. Then let's go home and we'll be together. Okay, great. Then let's go for dinner, drinks, and dancing. And we'll stay out till like four in the morning. Okay. Let's go for dinner, drinks, dancing, and we'll stay out till six in the morning. But how do you stay out till six in the morning? Here, take this. Come on. Come on, take it. Don't ruin the night. Don't, come on, don't you want to have fun with me? Don't you want to connect with me? Is, you know, you know, how much fun will this be? And it was like in your face. And I don't know if anyone has been around drugs that you need to be close to. It's, you can't get away with it. Um, and the funny thing is like, I would be the worst alcoholic or drug addict because I'm the type of person that would like sneeze and like things would go around or I'd get sick. I mean, like really bad. I mean, even like my, like even my, my kids were like, were, when they were told the stories, they're like, you, we don't believe you because we know mom. like, she's just like a klutz and like, it just didn't go, you know, I wasn't raised like that. I didn't know from that. Um, you know, if I had too many drinks, I was on, you know, in the ladies room, like I was getting sick. Like it, it was really bad at the whole idea. Like he had this whole image of what it would be like and I totally destroyed it. So, you know, in some form, but it really, it, it was really scary because it got to be, you know, it, it leveled up every time we went out and it was every weekend. And so my family would get to dinner, go to dinner together and I wasn't allowed to go because that was our night or yeah. And, and so I, I lost that connection with them even. And, um, you know, there'd be pictures posted on social media and people made their own assumptions about what was happening, but they didn't know that I was suffering inside. They didn't know that. Um, because I would show up still, I would show up to the meetings. I would show up to my school meetings. Um, my kids, had a team full of doctors and, and teachers and tutors and advocates. And I ran that in addition to this other side, because that was really who I was. That's was more important to me than anything and still is, but I still, you know, I wanted him to be with me and, and pay attention to me. And that's where the whole childhood wound that's not healed comes in. And he knew all of them. He knew everything. I mean, when you're together, you know, for almost 20 years, you know everything about the other person. And that was exploited. It was exploited, you know, just at dinner with somebody. It was exploited in a private, you know, together, just the two of us, and then in a group of people. And I've always said that when you're dealing with somebody's childhood wounds and you, you know, you target those you're now talking to someone who's young and naive. And so when he would 
put me out there or place me. He would, it was like I became this child that he was, he was exploiting. And I, you know, I always say I became like a circus animal. I was definitely a pawn in whatever games that were being played. And it wasn't just, it wasn't the men and the women and it wasn't just sex. It was just, it was just display. Like, look what I could do. Look what I could make her do. It was a power control shocking thing. And he would always say, I love putting you in uncomfortable situations. I know. And exactly. I'd um, be like, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I would definitely run now, but I wasn't that person. I mean, I was like in the thick, it was like quicksand. And I was, I was, all, it was all the way up. It was, there was no way I could get out. And I thought he was, ironically, I thought he was the only person that could get me out because I had nobody else around me. Nobody. And well, the people, did the grooming, he did the isolation. Oh, all of it, all of it, all of it. And then the friends we were with, you know, the gals were just as bad. I mean, the women knew how to do it too. You know, oh, come sit with us, you know, come sit with us at lunch. We all know that. We've seen the movie. We've played it out in our heads. Come be our friend. We've been friends for years. Oh, now we're going to let you in. And so, but, you know, they have an agenda also. Um, a lot of them had an agenda or some of them had an agenda with, you know, me and them or me and their spouse or me and whatever it is. And I didn't know that. I didn't know from that. I didn't come from that. I didn't understand it. And the situation was always set up and to the point where no was not an option. At some point, like the drinks were always made for me. Um, and you know, when you're, you could, it's like there were two sides. Like you could see, I could see my behavior changing and there was that space of awareness. And then that's like, I could see it, but I couldn't stop it because there was stuff running through my body. That's really scary. You know, I always throw Eckhart Tolle in there, like he says that. Like if there's there's the person that you are and the person that's a, that witnessing who you are. And I couldn't get away from that because most of the time I was, I had, I had you know, chemicals running through my body that I couldn't control because, again, no was not an option. And when I started to push back, I would get the silent treatment for days. I would get the emotional abuse. Um, and it was really scary. It was, it was sad. And cause here it was, I was trying to, you know, raise a family and our parents who were close would come over and I'd make brunch for everybody. And, you know, I'd have to wake them up to sit down for brunch. And, and then it was like, okay, everyone has to go cause we need to go out and I'd be exhausted. I mean, if I slept six hours on the weekend, it was a good thing. That's a lot. And so I was exhausted and it's like, that's another you know, that was like another step on the ladder of all of this that was going on. And then it got to be a point where it wasn't just in groups. There was a lot going on in my own bedroom. There was strangulation um, to the point where I would be unconscious and he wouldn't stop what he was doing. Um, There's, you know, like a belt around my neck kind of thing. And, you know, from behind and and then telling, let's say, the therapist, oh, she wanted that. Like, who would want that? I don't know anyone. Even even somebody who's into something like that, that's, you know, that's life or death right there. 
And I don't know anyone that would really want any of that. And if you do, God bless you. Like, that's great. Just, it wasn't for me. And there need to be agreements. And there were none. There were no agreements. You know, I was not a willing participant. And if, and if I didn't fight back, it was because I didn't know how. Or I was in a situation where I was in a back room of a club and there was security who was kind of watching, kind of not. Um, and you know, he would lift up my dress and put drugs on me and like, okay, do what you want with her. And he would watch or video or take pictures or, and I couldn't get out. I mean, how does one, you know, one woman, um, average size get away from that. And, you know, I couldn't scream because, you know, the owner of the club is in the room and there's security. Yeah, you got security watching. Exactly. There's nothing I could do. And, and, you know, there was, there were two different types of security. Apparently I learned in that scenario because the head honcho would definitely not put up with that. I don't know who I was friends with, but I didn't know to report this because I was protecting my husband because that's what we do in that, in that situation, because it was also very surreal. And then there was the whole, I say four days on three days off four days. is great. Four days is flowers and, you know, honey, what are we doing for dinner? It was, you know, um, it was, it was the normal, let's say, but then there were the other three days that were not great. And that is a true abuser. That's someone who knows what they're doing. Some people can do that. And it's almost like you have bi- bipolar, you have, um, borderline personality and that's from trauma, but this is something that was very, that was done purposely, all of it. And I can see that now because I'm removed and I've been removed for a few years and, um, I, I work with people that specialize in trauma, which is what now I'm, I'm aware of that. I want to help people, of course, that have gone through any sort of trauma. And that's, and that's a whole situation too, where just like a special needs child, when you see one person that has trauma, you see one person that has trauma, meaning it all looks different. And it's a, there's a, there's a scale and it could be anything that's very small to something that's, that's just way out there. Um, and it still does, one doesn't take away from the other, but they all need to be addressed and healed for the person to, to live. So, and that's what I'm doing for myself. And that's what I want to do for others going forward. Cause I already, I really already am at this point. Yeah. It's so important. It really is. And it's, mm-hmm. I love that people are now coming forward with their stories and saying what happened to them. We don't have to keep it a secret anymore. We don't have to keep it taboo. It happens Mm -hmm. in probably three out of five houses. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the statistic now, and we know this because of everything that's going on with that incredible movie sounds of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, It's one out of four households that have some sort of trafficking going on and the trafficking could be labor. It could be a housekeeper. That's not getting paid well. It could be the nail tech down the street that everyone goes to. You know, this this person was getting massages. Um, you know, those sort of massages, you know, he finally admitted to. Well, who do we think is doing those massages? Are they doing them because they want to? Absolutely not. You know. So that's a form of trafficking and some, you know, labor trafficking. And I would call it sex trafficking because Lord only knows what goes on in those rooms of which he tried to get me into. And I, I, you know, no, that was, 
You know, this is when I started to push back. Yeah. I was, yeah, you're not yeah. going to sell me. Like, no, we're not right. doing well, this. Well, yeah. Well, he did, actually. Um, in the end, I, you know, I found out quite a few things. And, yeah. So he did it in the beginning just for his own pleasure. And like I said, there, there's blackmail out there. You know, there are pictures that were set up. You know, babe, take a sexy picture for me in the bathroom. Do this. Do this with your hand. Do this, you know. And then we're at someone's house or party and everyone, you know, he's got everybody. He was controlling the situation. So everyone's out of it, right? Or all loopy or whatever it is. And we're being uh, silly. And it's like, oh, okay, I want you to sit in the bathtub and I want you to put the towel over yourself so nobody can see you're wearing clothes. And I'm going to take a picture of you and put his head, like, pretend that you're doing that. Like, I mean, it was complete setup. And, and then it was, okay, let's be intimate together and you get on top of me and you call me this name. It's not my real name, but I want you to call me this name. And I'd be like, what? And it, it, and it was just, you know, to the point where I was like, no, but he would record me all the time. And even recently said, yeah, I still have that in my safe. I still have that. So you think you're on the internet. Um, it might be, but that's okay. You know why? Because, um, my youngest child is very aware. She figured it all out herself. My older one is starting to understand, um, you know, cause, cause the behavior that he's still it was doing then he's still doing now, not with me, but with other people, especially some of the stuff that intoxicates you. And I'll let everyone else try and figure that out. You know, there's definitely financial abuse that's happening still. Things that are even by law are supposed to be doing that he's not. And then making money in a way that you really shouldn't be making money. And, you know, that sort of thing. So I'll let you guys figure that out. Money illegally. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say one way or the other just because. But I want to control the narrative. Because, yeah, it'll come out. But that's okay. Because the people that know me, know me. And I'm still that same mom where I have all the kids over and they sleep here. And, you know, I've got, you know, notes on my kids' mirrors or my daughter's mirror. It's, you know, smile, you were loved. I mean, I was doing this even when he was torturing me. I'd make him his special breakfast and put a note on it or make hard-boiled eggs and write, you know, smile, you were loved, I love you, you know, have a great day. I mean, that's who I am. I mean, I go to these parties where everybody's holding the red solo cup, God bless, you know, and I'd walk in with homemade baked cookies. They're like, what are you, what, what's that? And I'm like, well, what? If we're going to someone's house. You got to bring something. Not knowing that he's got stuff in the trunk that he's pulling out that he brought as far as party favors. I mean, I'm bringing homemade cookies because, you know, I'm the room mom, you know, and not knowing that, you know, it's going to be all about how many of these can we drink? And I don't want to take away from the normal fun because, you know, at a certain point in your age, you can have fun. It's your life. Fine. That's great. But this is a whole twisted ball game. And, you know, it's, it's an obvious one. And, um, you know, when I left, I went, I flipped, I flipped it over to the point where I didn't drink for a while and I needed to get control of the situation and myself and of course, then, then COVID hit, 
And then everybody was drinking. And then I went into that, you know, right? I mean, it was really funny. And I went back to work as a healthcare worker um, for the first time in 20 years because I had to. And um, that was challenging, very much so. But the funny part is it was it was right before COVID. So I don't know if that, well, I don't want to say that that's funny, but it was like I came back and everybody was drinking, like everybody, all of my patients. So um I started doing not only the physical health and all that, I was working on their mental health because we all needed that. But yeah, I mean, I would be, I went back to work and it was very um, cathartic because healing people helps ourselves. It heals us. And yeah, and that was incredible because I literally was and still am. And it's really helped me a lot in that, in that sense. There's also a fine line for those of us that want to help everyone is that sometimes we just have to look in the mirror and do it for ourselves. You know, caregivers and healthcare workers, we have a tendency to not do that. And again, after being with someone who took as much as he possibly could from me, it was, it's kind of, I'm, I'm learning that balance now, ironically, midlife. So how did you break it to him that you were leaving? Oh, I didn't break it to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was a process because it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think I said the wrong thing to the wrong people and things got even worse, which is why I'm a little bit incognito uh, right now. Um, and, you know, I mean no harm to anyone. I just want to protect myself. I want to live my life tell my story, help other people and make sure my kids are good. I mean, very simple. So I'm just going to put that out there. there I, I don't want to name names. I don't want to do any of that. That's not my goal. So what happened was I ended up, it, it got to be so bad where I couldn't even sleep in my own bed. And I took my son's extra twin mattress and I put it on the floor of another room and I was sleeping on the floor for a month. And I had lost about 20 pounds in three months, not knowing how which I later found out. And then I, I filed for divorce and that's when things got even more so worse. And he didn't come near me physically. Um, there was no intimacy. There was, you know, slamming the door open. There was going out drinking and putting a hole in the wall or, or slamming his hand into a picture of the two of us. And there was my son who was, I think, 17, 18. He and I were would have to, you know, um, drive through the city and look for his car at the different bars to make sure he didn't drive home way over the top inebriated. It was scary. And um, I knew I wasn't going to be safe had I stayed. I already wasn't safe, let's be honest, but I knew that it was going to get progressively worse. So I tried to get my kids out and they wouldn't come. My, my younger one, she came for a couple of days, but then really was very resentful. And I knew he wouldn't hurt them. But if I had stayed another week, I wouldn't be talking to you. There's no way I would be. Absolutely not. Because there were things running through my body and my system, and I didn't know what they were. Because I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't control my body. It was very odd. So when I left, I went to a safe house. And within three days to a week, I would be, I was detoxing from something. I was having withdrawal symptoms. I was shaking. I was, I was cold. And then I was sweating and 
you know, I was craving sugar, which I never eat. And I was just all these different weird things were happening to me. I couldn't, my brain, like I couldn't stop the, the craziness in my head of what was going on more so than, you know, our average stress, anxiety, and some of us that do that. Um, it was something that I couldn't control. And I knew that there was something in my system. And the sad part is that I didn't go to a hospital, which as a healthcare worker, I would tell someone to do, but I was afraid if there was something in my body that I didn't know was there, my, I would never see my, my child. I would not get half, you know, the custody that I did get. I wouldn't get any sort of rights to see her because she was underage. And I, I took that chance, whether it was smart or not, you know, I took the chance, but I was in a house where, um, I was with someone who's a physician. So I knew that if God forbid anything had happened to me, I'd be okay. But you know, this is in the house that I lived in with the person I lived with, there were lots of medications in regards to hormone replacement, steroids. There was, you know, lotions that were hormones. There were lotions that were um, numbing creams. There was yeah, there was special prescriptions. There were, you know, all that stuff. And I didn't take any of that when I left. And that's, you know, my body was, was kind of, was cleansing itself. I, I just had a feeling that something, one of those or not all of them was coming out. And eventually, you know, eventually my family literally like wrapped their arms around me because then they saw what was going on. They saw it. They didn't understand it, but they saw me. I was thin. I was scared. I was frail. I, I couldn't keep my attention. And that's so not who I am. And then it was, let's get you to a doctor and let's get you drug tested. Let's get you. I mean, I had to get tested for STDs because there are two sides of the coin there. Um, oh, yeah, I had to get tested for everything. And I did. And nothing showed up. And then I did research and, you know, there were drugs that I were, I was exposed to and there's stuff that people have in their drinks when they go to a bar and it doesn't show up on a test unless you specifically ask for it. GHB is a big one. Ketamine's another one. If you don't ask for those drugs to be tested specifically, they won't show up on your basic drug test. And that's the sad part because those are the ones that are used. They're liquid, they're powder that dissolves, all of that. And date rape drugs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, the trackers in my car. So anything that I found, I gave to my attorney who still has you it. Trackers in your car? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. And my understanding is in his ex girlfriend who he just broke up with last year, there's a tracker that she has in her car. My child knows about it. She's the one that told me. I mean, it's really, you know, you're dealing with someone who's, you know, off the charts. And, you know, I try and find forgiveness in my heart because that's who I am. And I can do that from afar, from far away. I can do that from afar. I can bless and forgive from afar. And, you know, he doesn't come near me. I don't talk to him. Um, I tried to get a restraining order and they wouldn't do it. Even though I told them what's going on in the house, what's in the safe, what's happening. Um, because there's firearms or, I mean, I couldn't do it. I, there was nobody to protect me. And that's the sad part. You know, that's the really, really sad part. And so, yeah. 
That's and, the frustrating you know, part. So many it, women it really ask is. for help. Yep. And it's like you have to wait for something to happen before someone yes. will help you. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, then he, he had the narrative where he called all of my friends and said that I was a drug addict and um, cheating on him and an alcoholic. And I, I, lived, I lived where, you know, if we went out to lunch, we would maybe have a glass of wine or a glass of champagne. The girls did, you know, and, and that was it. And then you did what you had to do. But, you know, I told that to my daughter and even then she'd shake her head and like, that makes no sense. Like she's in, she's in the school, like reading or volunteering, or I was running programs in the school. I was mentoring other children. Like how could you, she would say, how could mom do that if she's doing this? Like there's, you can't function if you're doing that. You know, she was always with us. And it, it makes no sense. And, and, you know, that's, that's the worst part about it are how the kids are affected. To me, that's the worst part. And, you know, I, you know, like, are um, they on your side? Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I try not to do the whole side thing because he is the father of, he's their father. Um, and they've come to their own conclusions. You know, somebody can't, somebody can't change the way that they are and their behavior in a sense that I'm still the same mom that I was when they were five and seven. And, you know, I'm about to get my youngest to college and, you know, I'm the same way that I was before the first day of her school, you know, when she went into middle school. I mean, there's no change for me. Um, she wishes that I was a little bit less helicoptery, but you know, she's, she's my little one going to college. I mean, you know, so I'll clean that all day long. Um, and right. And then, you know, the other one calls and he's like, what am I allergic to? You know, and he's a, he's a millennial, like what? 23 years old. You know, it's like, what am I allergic to? I'm at the doctor's office. What? I'm like, okay, listen Two I have two ends of the spectrum. I mean, like, seriously, there's no way I could do all those things. Cause I have to keep it together. Be, you know, someone's got to, and I always did. It was always me. You know, it was always me and it will always be me. And I'm okay with that because, and I, I promise them that I'll always be there for them my whole life. Um, whether that's, you know, for another 50 years or whether it's, it's, you know, I'll always be here for them and that'll never change. And nobody's going to come in front of that ever again. Nobody at all. So, and I, I can see that my, my older one, my son is, you know, he wants his dad to be his hero. He was told, he was sold the bill of goods, you know, and when somebody's, I always say when somebody's in sales and they're really good at selling and they're really good at their job they're going to be great in sales for their, in anything. And that's what happened. My dog barking. And that's what happened. Yeah. So, Salesmen, they, they know how to sell you. That's for sure. <laughs> they do. Well, that's what I said. I used to say that to him all the time. It's like, don't try and sell me. And that was before whatever happened, happened. Um, you know, so um, so, you know, here we are. So as far as leaving, I, I just decided at one point it was now or never. And I make a joke that we, as women, we have like three pairs of shoes and five jackets in our car. And, you know, we have enough to live out of our car and, you know, there's always snacks. But I, and I said, I would live, I would live in my car if I had to, which thankfully I didn't. So, um, you know, you know, I just, I left 
and I went to the safe house and I never went back. But what is what had happened was I I had gone out or we had gone out and um, with with these friends, some of these friends, and it would be dinner and the friend would get a drink from the bar outside and come over and three sips later, I'm waking up to my son calling my name uh, and I'm on the floor of a bathroom and I don't know how I got there. Or I wake up and I'm at someone's house and I don't know how I got there. And he would say to me, you know, when he was inebriated, all the secrets would come out. It would be like, don't ever sign the check and make sure you drink a glass of water in between the drinks. And he didn't, he doesn't remember that he said these things to me. So to me, that clarified that he set this up. I mean, there was no, there was no doubt about it. And, and that's when I, 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 when I woke up and I was in someone else's house. Um, and then I realized that my car had been moved from one place to another. Um, I remember there was a tracker in the car, so I knew where I was. And I, I didn't go anywhere but home. I went to the safe house. And I, and I realized that I, that was it. There's no way I could go back because it had really, really gotten scary in the end. Well, yeah. yeah, you're waking yeah. up in other people's yeah. homes. Right, right. That's and I don't know. Yeah, it's very frightening. It's extremely frightening. It's extremely frightening. And then it would be, you know, first it would be throwing stuff at me and saying stuff like shame and guilt. And I'd be like, but I don't know what happened. And then, and then he would, the next day, one time I had seen him and he had told me that about the drinks and don't sign the check. And, and I was like, that's it. And I knew, you know, I knew, but it was a validation for me. Um, what had happened was when I left and I was living in the house by myself, like the safe house, um, and my kids were at, at our old house, I would go every day before the sun came up and wake up my daughter for school and get her ready and pack her lunch at the other house. Um, I didn't touch anything. I didn't eat anything from the house that I was living in as far as like where my family was, where my kids were. I didn't want to do that. Um, there were no groceries. If there were groceries, I brought them over. But I took her to school every day. Um, and some nights or some days he'd be coming in while we were leaving for school, like 6.45 in the morning. Um, he would. Uh, there was always a, a state of inebriation. And, and it, it was just, it was scary because he would tell me, I'm having people following you and not knowing it was a tracker or whatever it was. I don't, I don't know. And but I showed up every day and I made sure that she was good. I would pick her up from school with a snack and I would make sure she did her homework. And I mean, I was still that mom annoying as possible, but I was still that mom because I wasn't going to change no matter how scared I was. I mean, it was awful and make sure my son was good and that he needed it. And either I'd make dinner for them and I'd leave cause he was coming home because he was very, obviously very controlling, but it'd be like, get out of my house. It's like, all my stuff was still there. It's like, get out of my house. This is, you're not allowed. And um, yeah, that's actually not true, by the way, for people. Um, so I, I would ask him to leave and stay out wherever he went. I don't know. And then 
I would make dinner and sit with them and have dinner. Um, but still scared to death to be in that space at all. It was horrible. But I always made sure. And within a month and a half of my leaving, I moved into my apartment. I found a job in a field I haven't worked in in over 20 years. I had my own money. I mean, I made sure that I had a, a place to where I could be that was safe and my children could be that that was safe. And I did it quickly. Um, there was no way around that. And Good for you. Yeah, thank you. Um, that was that was the most important thing. And um, yeah, that's that's how that happened. Yeah. Well, you know, you knew that it was just. It's only going to get worse. I try to say that as mm-hmm. much as I can because people yeah. are like, "Oh, well, you know, he hasn't hit me or he hasn't done this." But right. trust me, it's coming eventually. Mm-hmm. It always escalates. Right. And hitting is not the only form of physical abuse. Obviously, sex abuse is physical abuse. But I do, like I said, I have got like uh, certain things going on in my body that are broken and bad that need to be fixed. Um, But I can't do that right now because of the cost and because uh, I wouldn't be able to work for a couple of months. Um, It's not always the bruising because, again, people that abuse others physically are really smart. And some of them do it where nobody else could see it or where something can be covered up. And yeah, it's true. I mean, even if you're grabbed on the inner thigh, you know, when you're in bed and you don't ask for that and it's painful and someone does that to you, that's abuse. That's manipulation and that's abuse. And if you don't say yes, if they don't ask and you don't say yes, and I don't care how long you've been married or you're together, it doesn't matter. Anyone that puts so much force on you where you were bruised in any extent and they're not asking for permission, it's not, there's not willing consent, you can ask the experts. That's abuse. And some would call it rape. Absolutely. I don't care yeah. if you're married or not. Yeah. Some people think yeah. just because you're married, nope. you can't get raped. And that's, that's a mm-hmm. complete lie. Yeah. Well, tell them to call me because I'll tell them about how I was strangled for fun and I'd, I'd come out of it. I don't know if any of you have been have passed out and come out of it. I never did until then. And it is scary. It's, it's like free falling. Scary. It's like free falling out of an... I would assume it's like free falling out of an airplane and you're holding on. You're lying flat. Nothing's moving. But the brain, it's like coming out from... The, it's like coming alive from being dead. And if somebody's on top of you and you know, having sex with you still while you're going through that, that's rape. And I don't care how long I was married for almost 20 years. That's rape. And it wasn't me that said it. Cause I was like, come on. It was just, he was being like kinky or he was whatever. He thought I wanted that, you know, cause these are his words and it's all the experts that I've sat across from and talked to. And they, they were like, you were raped. This was abuse because I let it slide because it didn't look like the average. It didn't have bruises. I didn't have a black eye. I didn't have that like you see on the on the posters. But when you're sitting at women in distress and the person who's doing your intake is an ex-KGB agent who doesn't mess around, all female, and she says this to you, then you believe it. So, Oh, yeah, I there's so it. many different forms. Like oh. just two abusive homes may look completely different. Absolutely. Everyone does their own thing, but you're still sure. 
being right. abused. Right. And there's a wheel, you know, and it's called the power wheel and it's all about control and it has nothing to do with anything but that. And so he, he's, he can't come near me physically. We don't talk on the phone. It's been as long as we've been separated and divorced now, and that'll never happen. Um, maybe it will, I don't know, but I don't foresee it happening in the near future. And if it does, I will always, you know, I'll always live in grace. So I'll always be cordial. Um, and because what would that do for me is my theory. And what would it do for my children? Nothing. Cause I could slam him, but why? But it, so, so now that he can't come near me, it's the financial abuse piece. It's, you know, not paying alimony when necessary, or it's, you know, calling it blood money or whatever it is, even though, you know, I stopped working, I had a licensed career. And, you know, thankfully I kept that license active because I was able to jumpstart it, jumped into it. Um, and I'm going to tell anyone that does, is like a stay at home parent, mom or dad, you've got skills that you have no idea where you could run a small country because you basically are. And in the workforce, I don't care what software they're doing and all of that nonsense. You've got drive and determination and the ability to live on three hours of sleep and still, you know, excel. I'm going to tell you right now, being a stay-at-home parent gets you ready for anything in life. That's my, that's my little advertisement right there. <laughs> but it's true. And it's true. It really, it's true. It's true. I mean, listen, some of the social media stuff or whatever it is, the LinkedIn stuff, you got to learn. But uh, other than that, you know how to show up and do a job. And that's what matters these days. So anyway, I'll give some kudos there because I was scared to death going back. I really was. And, um, and I realized once I started that there was nothing I couldn't do. And I was the first one to take initiative in any job I was in. In, in, in any office I was in because I was used to doing that, you know, um, and that really helped the skills. So, you know, uh, coming from trauma, it, it's all manageable. It's not easy. Um, the panic attacks happen and they're going to happen. Um, but there's a way to manage it. And we all have heard the breathing, the grounding, the five, four, three, two, one theory, um, reach out to me if you need to know them. Um, music. I've always got uh, AirPods or some sort of headphones in my ears. Either it's a book or your podcast, which I think is fabulous and fun. Um, it is very informative. It's, you know, a YouTube video. It's, you know, somebody in the religious sector that's, you know, doing a sermon, which is kind of cool. Um, it's, it's a motivational speaker, whatever it is. It's somebody singing. It's a, it's a great song. It's a book especially if you have ruminating thoughts, it's the best way to get out of that, learn something new and hopefully empower you, hopefully empower like, yourself. I've heard a mm -hmm. lot of people saying painting too, that. Well, well, that's the, right. So that's the fine, right. So that's the fine art. Painting is really great. Coloring is wonderful. Anything with magic markers, chalk on the sidewalk. I mean, when, when COVID came, I was scared to death because at this point I'm in my healthcare field and I can't do anything but focus on that one person at a time. And then I, you know, we were shut down first and I was like, now what am I going to do? Now I'm sitting here in my room 
and I don't know, and I'm fresh out of this situation. So I started walking. I ended up walking like four times a day and like starting to bike ride like a hundred miles. I lost weight more than I gained weight, believe it or not. I was so fit. And that was my anxiety coming out. You know, sometimes it's for good. It's changed a little bit though, let's be honest. Um, And I started doing that. So I started going to like dollar stores and getting stuff for the kids in the neighborhood. And I would get them chalk and toys and because I'm that mom. And, you know, I started doing that with them and getting on the ground and, and just getting into mindless stuff. And it really was great and figuring where can I help? Um, and I have a friend that gives out medals to terminal, terminally ill children and, uh, and they put tags on them. So it's a really great organization. And, and she was doing it also for like the military and for first responders. And so we made tags to go on the medals and I would spend hours doing that and make hundreds of them. And it was so beautiful to do because it got me out of my story. It got me out of my physical, you know, tingling panic anxiety. And it got me into what's the message that this person might want to hear? What's the message that I want to hear? And that's what I started writing. You know, the world needs you. You know, you are important. You are loved. Smile. All that stuff I was doing for my, you know, former spouse, I was putting out into the world and still am. And I will tell you, anyone who's got stuff going on within them, um, it really, it really makes that shift for you. It does. And it's very simple. It really is. So yeah, painting is great. I'm horrible at painting. <laughs> horrible. That whole like wine and that sip and whatever painting, horrible. Oh, yes. I've done that. My daughter's like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know, but look, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I, you know, I'd painting rather, you know, twist. that's what it yeah, is. Paint, that's it. I mean, and you know, they call them so many different things now and they're really great. I mean, listen, it's a great like bonding team building experience, but I'm just bad at painting. But um, I've got dry erase markers and I do messages on the mirror for myself and my kids or just, you know, cutting up construction paper and, you know, cutting, gotcha. (laughs) I'm here. I know it happens. Cutting out construction paper and writing notes and, you know, slapping it on the wall and that sort of thing. And then um, chanting. Chanting is a big thing affirmations we all know but chanting tina turner um google it go on youtube her chanting is phenomenal she is phenomenal um always will be and you know god rest her soul she's just she changed her own life and in that she changed so many people and what a role model um and and so after she yeah absolutely had the strength to stand up for sure and we all do. And she says that. Um, and I've put some stuff out there where, you know, it's true. What did she do? What was her gift? What's her gift? Her gift was singing and dancing. Well, what's your gift? You know, my gift is talking, obviously, or it's, you know, making other people feel good. One smile at a time. You go outside and, you know, who's out there? The guy collecting the grass. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for keeping my our, our neighborhood clean. Here's a bottle of water because it's a thousand degrees outside or whatever it is, wherever you live. <laughs> You know, um, you know, and it's, 
you know, it's, it's that sort of thing. It's, it's making cut up hearts and with slogans and bringing them to your school, the local schools or preschools or hospitals or whatever it is. Um, there's so much love that you have inside of you that no one can take away. And that's what I always said, no matter who hurt me or betrayed me or abused me or used me or whatever, it's now my body. Um, I get to choose what goes in it. I get to choose who comes near it. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the narrator of my own life and I'm going to take that pain and I'm going to make it more so that I love that, that much more. And no one's going to change that. No, no evil can take it away. What, what was the saying that he said last night in the movie? Um, and it's a biblical saying, uh, evil will not survive if, if, if the good thrive or something like that. Um, I can't remember right now. I apologize, but it's basically like the good in us is so much better than the evil that exists. And I think that, like you said, whether it's painting or coloring, whatever it is, baking, um, it helps you in that, in that state where you don't know if you're coming or going and you're in panic mode. And, you know, if you do it and then you send it out, you know, um, it changes the shift. Now you're doing it for love. You're doing it out of love. And then you give it away. And you realize that you have power. Um, because power doesn't always equal force. Power sometimes is just love. And I think that that's big. I mean, like what you're doing here, Tiff, it's like, it's all love. And that's and that's powerful what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. I really you're welcome. that. It's true. And I will say that podcasts are one of the best things you can do with for yourself at four in the morning because we all wake up at that hour for some reason. Well, it's the witching hour, you know, we could go on that. We can, I can go into that too, but it's really the hour of the full moon and the women dancing, you know, that sort of thing. But four o'clock in the morning when you're by yourself, it's, it's a little, even if you're not, even if you're have a house full, um, it's what do you do? And you get anxious or you start to remember stuff or you get triggered, you throw on a podcast and listen to whatever somebody else's experience is or something completely different or realize you're not alone or reach out to me because I'm usually always up. And, you know, my goal is to be a lighthouse for somebody, anybody, because if, if we're spinning, it's like being in a hot tub or a whirlpool or the ocean and you don't know which way to look up to, to, to save yourself or to get a breath of fresh air. Um, I want to be that breath of fresh air for someone because I know what that feels like. I've lived that for many, many years. And, you know, some days, some moments I still do. And that's when, you know, I grab, you know, my tools in my toolbox if you have kids, it's Dora the Explorer with her backpack, you know, <laughs> such a mom. Find the map. <laughs> Find the, exactly. God, don't get me singing that. Don't sing that. I will not get that out of my head all day long. Be like, why am I singing this song in three days later? Like, oh, Tiff. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so funny. It's so funny. But it's true. I mean, we have to have that. You know, we really do. No, you yeah. do. You have to have your own time, your own headspace, and mm -hmm. you you have to get familiar with yourself again. Mm -hmm. You have to reintroduce yourself and then Absolutely. build yourself up even better than what you were. 
Absolutely. I mean, I definitely am not the same person, the same woman. I mean, just in the tone of my voice, it's very obvious, but I did, I did a ceremony where I took all of the anniversary cards and the pictures that I saved of just he and I, not the family. Cause I, I still don't know what to do with those to be honest. But, um, and I did a ceremony. I put them in a bowl and I lit that bitch on fire. <laughs> you know? Good for you. I did. And you know what? I, I said a little prayer, um, to her and I make the distinction of her versus me now. And, and I took the ashes and I buried them and I thanked her for staying alive for me. I thanked her for all that she went through and I told her she could rest now. I get really emotional when I say that because she wasn't allowed to sleep and she wasn't allowed to decide what to do with her own body. And she couldn't speak up for herself and she did whatever she could to survive so that I could live so that I could tell her story so that I would be great for my kids because she knew that was what was necessary. And I recommend anyone who's going through anything, any sort of loss or trauma or whatever, or even hope, you know, um, light, the parts that aren't great, go outside and light it with a, you know, bowl of water, which I had, um, away from the house and bury it and say a prayer. And then I wrote after I did, and it's one of my best pieces that I wrote. Um, you know, there's stuff on my website and there's so much more to be had. I have four journals that I write in depending on how I feel is which one I open up. Um, and, you know, it's really important because it's, it's the, either the finality of something or it's, and, or it's the beginning of something. And, you know, I'm in a transitional phase that's going to change because my child is moving. I will be an empty nester alone, which I never expected. And then I'm moving from this transitional place I've been in for the last few years that I made a safe house for myself and my kids. And... I'm a little sad. I'm very proud. And I'm, and I'm a little nervous because I'm moving on to the next phase with no direction and no partner. And I never expected that. But I know that I, I, I have to do some sort of a ceremony. One day it'll be this person that I am now thanking this woman because the next one is going to be surviving and thriving. I never thought I would make it. I never thought I'd make it for my youngest to be 18. When she turned 18 this year, we celebrated for her and we celebrated for me that I made it through because I, the threats that we get and all of that, I never thought I'd make it. And I did. So those little celebrations are huge. Powerful. I highly recommend them. It is. It's very powerful. And put pen to paper, get it out, get it out, you know, let it go. I love reality. <laughs> Don't you? Oh, Don't yeah. You? Yeah. Well, you're going to have to. Is there anything you wanted to add um, about your book? Or do you want to? Well, we can. Happy. I mean, you could you could say it, I mean, going forward. But, you know, my website is the name of the book. But it's also, I'm really proud of it because I did it myself when I was fearful of how to do that. I didn't know. I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? And then the pieces that I'm writing on there and just the 
the desire to help other people. And it's a collection of women coaches that have all gone through different things. Um, you know, one of them is um, a family, they're all family members, <laughs> ironically. Um, you know, she was married to somebody who was a severe alcoholic and secretly gay and was married for 30 years until she saved herself. Um, there's another person that went through trauma and then traveled the world and got into the whole like, um, energy healing, all of that stuff, you know, yoga, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and there's, there's another gal, well, then there's my child who shares your name and, um, but she's going by a different name and she's starting to her own podcast. Um, she's 18 and, um, she's now openly gay. And we, we help the LGBTQ community, especially the kids, um, because whether or not you approve or disapprove of this, this child is still going through this. Um, these teenagers need to be loved. There's too much suicide going on. So we are on a mission to help as many people as possible because this can all be prevented. Oh, and sure. yeah, and I, I say like I survived for a reason, you know, I, I wouldn't have survived. He, he didn't want me to survive. A lot of people didn't want me to live, to tell the truth, but I did. And, you know, I said it earlier that I stand on the shoulders of all of my strong female ancestors and they survived even more so worse situations before us, all of the women did. And because of that is why I move forward and why I'm doing this. Yeah. Good for you. You took your voice well, back. Thank you. you oh, back. oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was my kid that taught me. She goes and stands in front of school boards and lobbies for kids and their rights and women's rights. You know, we live in a state now where all the rights are being taken away. So guess that one. And it's horrible. And I'm hoping that that generation saves us all. So it'd be nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wear a shirt proudly and it says, I decide. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's really cool. So well, it was great talking to you. Yes. Thank you so much. It was great talking thank to you. you too. Thank you so much. And keep doing your cool stuff. I love all your shows. I'm going to keep listening. I promise. Yes. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Sure. I love it. Links will be in the show notes. If you know somebody who can relate to this episode, please share it with them. It is so important for people to realize that you really, you're not alone. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget the podcast of the month, which is The Broken System and Quad Pro Quo. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.